0: Today we come to Ephesians five, verse eighteen, and it says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You notice it doesn't say not to drink wine. It says, Don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess. We're going to be going to a lot of verses this morning, but I want you to go uh, first of all 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and Philippians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And you see that drunkards are listed there as well with with many of those other things. And, uh, of course, we saw when we looked at those verses that inheriting the kingdom of God is not talking about eternal life. Your eternal life is not dependent on what you do. Your eternal life is, is dependent on the grace of God. But uh, inheriting the kingdom of God had to do with an issue of rewards. Right? But but uh, notice verse 11. It, it says, after listing these things and saying that, that those will not inherit the kingdom of God, verse 11 says, And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. As Paul writes here to the, the Corinthians, you know, the Corinthians lived in a, a culture that was very much like our culture. Uh, the You know, many of the, the same proclivities and, and sins and things that we see in our culture would have been very prevalent in that Corinthian culture. And so, you know, Paul could look there at that group of people and as he lists these things and, and says... These people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He you know, he knew that the people there had been involved in those things. In fact, in, in some cases, if you read all the book of 1 Corinthians, some of them were still involved in those things. But he tells them that's not who you are anymore. That's who you were. But now you're washed. Now you're sanctified. Now you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God in verse 11. And verse 12, he says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You know, when you, when you proclaim the grace of God, there are always people that will come along and say, well, that just, you know, grace just allows people to, to go and sin and do whatever they want. And, you know, and they, they malign the grace of God in that way. But understand, grace doesn't teach you to go out and sin. And, and here Paul explains why that is, even though under grace, there's all kinds of things you could go out and do, but he says, they're not necessarily expedient. And he says that all things are lawful for me, but he says, I will not be brought under the power of any. And so the liberty that we have under grace is also balanced with a great deal of responsibility. A great deal of responsibility to to evaluate, is something expedient, is it is it uh, beneficial would be another way to say that. Uh, is this you know this thing that I claim liberty with regard to? Is it something that brings me under its power in such a way that it that it actually takes away from my service to God, right? And so so there Paul gives a, a standard. Now you understand that takes a lot more maturity and a lot more responsibility on the part of the individual to make those kinds of decisions than to just have a law that says Thou shalt not, right? To look at things and say, Okay, I have liberty to do such and such a thing. But should I do it? Okay, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And and so here he says, all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient. Go over to Philippians chapter four, and and here you know Paul. There's just just one verse we're going to look at. Philippians chapter four, verse five, where he says, "Let your moderation be known unto all men." And the verse ends by saying, "The Lord is at hand." Let your moderation be known. Unto all men, and you know, with with a lot of things, a lot of things that you know, where you have these, you know, these denominations, often where you have one denomination that's legalistic on the on the one side, and another denomination that you know claims some some liberty to you know even to to uh, uh, an excess. Uh, what Paul says is, you shouldn't be on those extremes. Now, there are some things you should be extreme about. Right? There are some things you should be extreme about, but what he says that ought to be something that characterizes the believer is not being given to extremes, but moderation. Okay? Let your moderation be known unto all men. And so, so this, you know, this issue of alcohol is something that, again, it's, it's a much, it's an issue you have to put more thought into than just whether you have liberty to do a thing or not. The Bible talks a lot about wine and and strong drink. And, you know, there's positive verses about wine and there's negative verses about wine. Um, Wine is something that Israel in their sacrifices would sacrifice to God. Um, Wine, an abundance of wine, if you just do a word study on the word wine, you'll find that very often verses that talk about an abundance of wine are talking about um, when, for instance, when the nation of Israel was experiencing the blessing of God and they had great abundance in their harvests and things. That, you know, I mean, if you if you harvest, if you have a a large harvest of grapes, that's you know, you're gonna have an abundance of wine. And so it's presented as being something that is a, a sign of prosperity. And yet there are also very strong warnings in the Bible about wine and strong drink. Go to Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Wine is a mocker. A mocker is somebody who makes a fool of you. And that's what, that's what wine does often to people. It makes a fool of them. And, you know, it, 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 uh, often it seems like a, a good idea t- at the time to, to take that drink or to take that next drink. But the end result is that somebody's just made a, made a fool of. And so there, it describes wine as a mocker. It says strong drink is raging. It's it's something that is a is an enemy and is against you. And it it warns that the wise person won't be deceived by it. See, there's there's a lot of things. It almost you know it personifies the the strong drink there, right? I mean, it treats it like it's a, it's a person, like it has a will. And understand that that the problem is not with the wine. The problem is not with the alcohol. The problem is with man. The reason that wine can be a mocker, the reason that strong drink is raging, and and the reason that we can be deceived by these things is not is not because of the the alcohol. It's because of of us. It's because of who we are. There's even a stronger warning in chapter 23, starting in verse uh, 29. It says, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Now look at verse 29 again, just on your own there, and run your, your, your eye down through those things. And you see there the, the description of somebody who is given to wine, the, the redness of eyes, the woe and sorrow, the contentions, um, the babbling, you know, wounds without cause. And, and so it says, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And again, you see there that, that wine that may look attractive, may seem attractive, but you see what the end of it is. Um, uh, the, in, in fact, it's no, it's no surprise that one of the, Strong judgments that God had against Israel as they fell into rebellion and disobedience against God was the, their the fact that they were given to wine, especially that their leaders were given to wine. If you go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was a, a prophet who prophesied of the the coming judgment that would come upon Israel, and he often mentioned their their uh, excess of wine, Isaiah chapter 5 is one example. Verse 11, it says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the viol and the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts, but they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. And verse 13 says, Therefore my people are gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. And verse 14 goes even farther. It says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself, and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory, and their multitude, and their pomp, and he that rejoiceth shall descend into it. Go to verse 22 of the same chapter. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength to mingle strong drink which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from Him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossom shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. The reason that drunkenness is a sin is because of the way that it affects the judgment. And the you know rather, Christians are told to be sober which, which is talking about having a sound mind, and, and even you know the, the the verses in the New Testament that talk about being sober are not just talking about not being drunk, but they're talking about being able to evaluate situations according to the Word of God. Uh, you know the the world, the way that they make choices and decisions is not a sober way. They make they make decisions out of just the, the desires of their heart, where Christians are to think soberly, uh, which is to think according to God's Word. And here, as the, as the leaders in Israel had given themselves to strong drink, they weren't able to make right judgment. It's no accident that you go, you go anywhere, you go in any kind of establishment where, where alcohol is prevalent, and you're gonna have a lot of other ungodly things that are prevalent there as well. Right? That's, that's not an accident. That's because the, you know, the alcohol breaks down the inhibitions. It, it, you know, breaks down some of the natural, uh, barriers of the conscience and different things to sin. And so, so you have all kinds of things that become associated with that use of alcohol. Here, here you see the condemnation on Israel because of their lack of judgment with regard to those things. One more thing in, in Isaiah chapter 28, uh, Isaiah chapter 28 and Verse 7 says, But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment for all tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. And you see the state of Israel there when the priests who were the, the religious leaders of the nation the prophets who were the spiritual leaders of the nation and in the in the passage the previous passage we looked at it was the the judges were all given to wine had no judgment and so you have those you know those those uh, great institutions within that nation of israel the religious the spiritual and the the civil all given to wine and it's it's no wonder that they uh, came under the judgment of god and why they had it talks there about them having no no judgment rather than the the you know these tables when it mentions the tables there he talked about the priests you know the priests had these these various services that they performed and there was a table of the priests uh, certain sacrifices after the sacrifice was offered, the priest would sit down and have a fellowship meal that was to to you know really represent the the uh, unity of that congregation of Israel and they would have that fellowship meal together where they would eat the the flesh of that sacrifice in honor to God, and yet that table instead of being something clean in honor to God, it was full of the the, the vomit of their drunkenness you say what a what a i mean sin, just any kind of sin is wicked, but to take the holy things of God and to turn them into that kind of wickedness, how much how much more so? And uh, that's why in in the local church in the in the New Testament, there's some requirements that are put on leaders in the church. Let's uh let's go over to First Timothy chapter three. You see, with Israel, they're they're Leaders had led them astray in part because of the fact that they were given to strong drink. And so in the, in the, uh, local assembly of the church, the body of Christ, God puts restrictions there. First Timothy chapter three begins to give the requirements for the, the two offices that the Bible establishes for the church. You know, a church organization has very, various offices, but there's really only two offices that are established by God and uh, and they're not treasurer and secretary and and that kind of thing. Uh you see in verse 1, it says this is a true saying if a man desire the office of a bishop. And bishop, you know, we don't we don't use that term much because of its association with with false religion. I mean, 9 times out of 10 if somebody calls themselves a bishop, they're they're a part of a some false religion. But the word bishop means means overseer. The the uh Greek word is episkopos, means an overseer. And we, you know, we in our, in our church organization, we use the term elder, which is, uh, an interchangeable term that's used in the Bible for bishop. But, but really, you know, there's nothing wrong with that word bishop. I mean, really, that's the name of the office is bishop. And it says, if a, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. And verse 3 says, not given to wine. That last passage that we, we looked at back there in Isaiah talked about how they were swallowed up of wine. And you know, that's a that's a play on words because a person swallows wine, but, but wine will swallow up the person too. Uh, there's, a, there's an old saying that says, the man takes a drink, the drink takes a drink, and the drink takes the man. And uh, that's that's the kind of thing you have in these passages. Here it says that the the bishop is not to be given to wine, and and the reason for that is you, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't give yourself to these other things, right? Your your own self is not yours to give, and it's it's very easy for someone to become given to something like wine, where that becomes like those verses we we saw. They get up early in the morning to seek it, and and they. You know, partake of it all day into the night, and the next morning they're, they're seeking after it again. Um, but you see, it says that the bishops are not to be given to wine. First Timothy, uh, three, come down to verse eight. It says, likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. And by the way, all of those things are describing the moderation that ought to characterize the, the, life of the believer. And so somebody who is a leader in the church has to exemplify those things. They have to be, um, you know, be an example of, of that kind of moderation. And as you look at each one of those things, it is describing a, a, a form of moderation. There's more issues for, for you to consider when it comes to this issue than just what your liberty is in Christ. And one of the things, the, the, the verse there, go back to our, our text in Ephesians 5. A lot of times when people quote this verse, they, they misquote the verse. Um, many times they'll quote it as saying, uh, uh, Be not drunk with wine, which is in excess. That's how people quote the verse. And and they make the excess to be an excess of wine, which then would lead to drunkenness. But that's not really what the verse says. Um, it says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is Excess. And that word excess there, it, uh, the, the same word is also translated as rioting in other places. Uh, we'll look at a verse in a second where it's translated that way. It's, it's saying that in drunkenness of wine, that it leads to excess. Now it's true that drunkenness becomes, you know, comes from an excess of wine. But what this verse is saying is that that drunkenness leads to other excesses in other areas. And if you if you do some deeper study on the the Greek word that's used there. The uh, the word that's used is is asotia, and really what it means is it means to be unsaved. It means unsavedness. That would be kind of a kind of a, a hard word to translate it with, but that's literally what the word means. What it's saying is that drunkenness will lead you to be just like the world, to be just like the unsaved, those that are not saved. Is literally what the what the word means. Um, the the word's also used over in First Peter. Turn to First Peter chapter four. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. Now in verse 3 when it talks about excess of wine, that's not the same original word as as what's in our text verse. But in the next verse, verse 4, it says, Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead the word riot in verse 4 is the same as the word excess in our our text verse and it's that word that means to be like the unsaved to be not saved and here peter describes how the world thinks it's strange that we as believers don't do the same things that they do if the world if the world is able to look at you and not think that you're a little bit strange then you're not you're not living the christian life that you ought the Christian life is, is in its counter to the course of this world. And so the, the believer who is living a life that's devoted to God, that's that's committed to obeying God's word, is not going to look like the world. And you see, the, the world will speak evil of you because you don't participate in the same things that they participate in. You see, it, it says they think it's strange that you don't run with them to the same excess of riot, and they speak evil of you. Oftentimes, I think there's believers that will claim liberty in order to excuse just being like the world, right? And so what they really want, their real motivation is not to to just, you know, honestly and purely exercise some liberty they have in Christ, but they want to be like the world. They don't want to be left out of what the world is doing, and so they use their liberty in order to be more like them. And that's not the proper use of liberty. You see that the believers ought to be separate from the world. There's also some issues to, to consider here regarding, go over to Romans 14. Those of you that have studied the book of Romans in detail know immediately that chapter 14 of Romans um, is a, a chapter that, again, places a balance on the liberty that we have in grace. Because... You know that, that liberty can become a very selfish thing. If your emphasis is always on what my liberty ought to be, that, that can become a very selfish thing. And what this chapter does here in Romans 14, it begins to talk about the weaker brother. And how that it's not enough for us to just think about our own liberty. We have to think about how exercise of our liberty affects other people. And in, in Romans 14, there's several issues that are addressed. And, and it would do you well to go and read the whole chapter. But I want you to come down to verse 17. Verse 17. It says, for the kingdom of God... Now, there's that same kingdom of God we talked about several weeks ago. Not the kingdom of heaven, but the kingdom of God. It says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Meat and drink are... are are kind of irrelevant with regard to the kingdom of God, but it says it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. He that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Verse 20 says, for meat destroy not the work of God. Right? I mean, if somebody, if, if eating meat is going to be a contentious issue with somebody, alright, it says don't, don't destroy the work of God that God's going to do with that person over such a, a minor issue. For me, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. Verse 21, now notice what Paul's conclusion is. He says, it is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. And so Paul says that, the, you know, the... The liberty that you have in Christ is not the only issue for you to consider when it comes to whether you're going to drink alcohol, how much alcohol you're going to drink, that kind of thing. You have to consider other believers as well who may be weak in the faith. And, and what Paul says, he says, if it's going to be a contentious issue, it's good, just don't do it at all, right? He says it's good, it's good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth. Over in, in another one of his epistles, he says that to the pure, all things are pure, but to the, to the unbelieving, nothing is pure, even their mind and conscience being defiled. And you know, often we read those verses thinking that the defiled conscience means that your conscience doesn't bother you enough. But you know, there's a lot of areas of Christian liberty where your conscience might bother you too much. And, and for some believers, that this issue is one of those things. You know, it, you shouldn't be offended if a fellow believer is Drinking alcohol in moderation. Now, drunkenness ought to be a, an offense to everybody, but just the alcohol itself ought not to be an offense. But you see, also these issues again. While you ought to grant liberty to someone else, you got to be careful about how you use your own liberty, and be careful about what effect that's going to have on other people. Now, you you might say, well, why should my why why should my liberty be subject to somebody else's weak conscience? Why why should that be? Why should that be an issue? And, you know, the scripture anticipates that question. If you turn over to first Corinthians chapter 10, first Corinthians chapter 10, the uh, again, the scripture anticipates that question in verse 27. Now here, here, the specific issue is not wine. It's the issue in this passage is meat that's sacrificed to idols, but it's the same principle, whether it be this observance of days, whether it be uh, eating meat or eating herbs, whether it be drinking wine, whether it be eating meat sacrificed to idols, all of these issues fall into that same category of things where there's liberty, but people's consciences differ. Right? It's, it's matters of conscience. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 27 is talking about meat sacrificed to idols, but the principle is the same. It says, If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat, eat not, it says, for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other, for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? Now, actually, technically, in this passage, it's not even talking about the weak brother. It's even talking about the conscience of the unbeliever and the testimony to an unbeliever. Right? And and he asks the question, he anticipates that people would say, Why should my liberty be judged of another man's conscience? Verse thirty, he, he rephrases the question another way. For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? But verse thirty-one, he says, whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. And, you know, there are many times where an unbeliever, whether it be this issue or a lot of other things, and they see you partaking in things that they partake in, even even some things where you may have Christian liberty to do it, and yet they, because of their Conscience or whatever, they see it and it actually turns them away from Christ. Paul says it was his his goal never to offend people in these things. So if, if that meant that he had to not not exercise his liberty sometimes, then that was he, what he was going to do. And he would consider it not on the basis of what he had the freedom and liberty to do in Christ, but what was going to be best for the other person. And you you see, again, how that moves you from that selfish view of nobody's going to take away my rights, nobody's going to take away my liberty, to a view where you willingly, in some cases, don't exercise that in order to serve another person's good. And so I I hope you see in this issue that it, it's more than just, when you're making that decision, when you're making that decision to, to partake of alcohol, when you're making this, that decision to, you know, go to a certain place as a part of that or to, to be with certain people in a social setting and, and that kind of thing, that it's more than just an issue of what your liberty is in Christ. There's a lot of other things to consider there and always keep in mind those strong warnings. See, that, that strong drink is, is presented there in Scripture as a, a uh, deceiver and many is the person who has thought, I can handle just one drink, I can, I'm strong enough. I can, I can take that. And they wound up like, like those verses that we read. And they took the drink, but eventually the drink took them and they, they became swallowed up of it. The scripture says that every man should take heed that, that the one who thinks that he's strong should take heed lest he fall. And, uh, that you see that strong warning that's given there. It's, it's no accident in, in the Bible, when you go all throughout the Bible, that, the highest positions of service to God are always associated with turning away from strong drink. Think about the priests in the Old Testament. When they were, when they were serving in the temple, they were forbidden from drinking strong drink. Um, the, the Nazarite vow in the Old Testament, when somebody would set themselves unto God, a part of that was complete abstinence from alcohol. You see how the leaders in the church are not to be given to wine. And, and where Paul said it's good not even to, to drink it at all if it's going to offend somebody else. And so there's a lot of matters there from God's Word to to consider with with regard to that issue. Not just your liberty, but also the conscience of other people. And also the, the, the fact that it's very easy to be deceived by those things and, and think that you can do it in moderation and not be able to. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com.